I'm Adam Hergenrother and welcome to Business Meets Spirituality. This is a show for leaders and high achievers who've experienced success on the outside and still feel like something is missing in their life, who have made money and accomplished big goals, but then ask themselves, is this all there is? After all, business is nothing but a conduit for your personal growth. Need nothing and enjoy everything. This is Business Meets Spirituality. So one of the really neat things that we, I say we, right? Let's just pause there for a second because there's we. I always like kind of looking behind the scenes on not only businesses, but how things are uh, developed. So I want to stop today and kind of, uh, we've introduced Hallie before, but really um, people are like, who's Hallie? Like, and she all of a sudden, like, actually one of the the feedback that we got from the podcast, it was like, like, man, I'm listening to you in a role and all of a sudden this voice jumps in and they're like, they're like, I loved it, but I just didn't know who Hallie was or what her name was until you said it. And so um, we wanted to have some fun today uh, to talk about our relationship, which is obviously a strategic partnership. And we wrote the book, The Founder and Force Multiplier on it, which has been a bestseller multiple times. Um, but really want to dive in behind the scenes of what that partnership looks like, um, how that relationship continues to grow, and you know why is she with our organization? Why do I keep her in our organization? The value that they bring. <laughs> She's laughing. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. But that's just true. Like all those things that are in there, right? It's just I think it's important to kind of have that just kind of off the you know cuff, kind of behind the scenes kind of conversation about it. Other thing I'll share too is that um, a lot of times when when I when I pause or you hear a different direction, kind of go a little bit in the podcast is Hallie's sitting with like three feet from me and she'll be like looking at me with like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. And so she kind of pulls it back to another area and asks good questions about it because it keeps me, we just have a different way of viewing the situation, which is great, which is what you need in a strategic partnership. Also, Caitlin is in the room too, so um, which I'm looking at now. And so she's always in here. Almost as playing referee between Hallie and I, um, and it's yes. it <laughs> makes a lot of fun for it. And there's a lot that goes into prepping for these podcasts. It's not like we just jump on and do this. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work, and and Caitlin's kind of grabbing notes and just making. Um, Caitlin's our director of marketing. Yes, there you so go. So she's really almost like the producer of this yes, entire exactly. thing. And then right after we do it, she tells us what we did wrong, um, which yes. is great. But she does a good job telling us what we did right, too. Yes. So um, can introduce that. And I only too. say what's wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will go right into what's wrong. Caitlin has a very sweet way of giving us feedback, yes. <laughs> um, which is which is great. Um, so, Hallie, what, what makes a strategic partnership? It comes in a lot of different forms, of course. But when we talk about it, it's really, it's really the business leader and whoever their right hand is again, force multiplier, executive assistant, chief of staff, really sharing a role, Mm -hmm. working together in a business towards a common goal, where they're they're really doing the same job. And I think that's where sometimes we get confused on like this, you know, force multiplier. Um, People often think it might be your COO or your director of operations or maybe a um, marketing team member. And in some cases it can be, especially in the beginning. Yeah. But long term, I mean, the director of marketing, like Caitlin, or you know, our COO is certainly not doing anything. You're not doing anything that they're doing, and they're not doing anything that you're doing. Versus that part, strategic partner who's right next to you. I mean, we're we're literally sitting here doing the same thing. Yes, exactly. Working on the same project and just bringing 
you know, different perspectives to it. You know, one of the principles we talk about in the book, the founder of the force multiplier is that zero to 10 principle, right? Where it's basically, um, I look at, as Holly just described, as kind of doing the same type of uh, projects. So I look at, I take things from like a zero to one, maybe like a zero to 0.5 sometimes. <laughs> um, and ultimately it's more of just that idea, that vision, that kind of there, that, that just drive this is, okay, this is the direction we're going to go, or this is the change we need to make. And, or this is what this initiative we need to concentrate on that fits into the overall alignment of things. And then Hallie will take it from essentially like a two to a nine and she'll either, it's, so it's the same project and she'll either either um, work on it herself or she'll delegate the project to somebody else that's on our leadership team, maybe our CEO or CFO or somebody that's in there as well too. And then it'll come back to me if it's necessary to kind of take it from a nine to a 10. Um, sometimes it doesn't even come back to me because she just then delegates it to um, and gives somebody else the opportunity to own it towards the end of that. Um, so I think it's key is when you think about a strategic partnership, it's the, the relationship is that you actually are focused on the same initiative, the same project, the same uh, where you're putting your energy, just another way of saying it. Um, think of it like the chief of staff and the president, right? They're, the chief of staff is really actually has more power than the vice president, right? Essentially. I mean, I guess not technically they, they do, but the chief of staff runs the Influence. They have influence. That's a good way of saying it, right? They have better influence because people listen to them a lot more. And, uh, and so like, they're literally taking the initiatives of what the president takes from zero to one. And then the chief of staff is getting it all done right through other people or through their own initiatives and kind of getting it there and then reporting back to the president of what it kind of looks like. And everyone can see that relationship because I'm sure they've watched the West wing before, which is an awesome show, by the way, if you haven't. Right? Or scandal. Or scandal, <laughs> right. Or any one of those, the ones that are kind of, um, depict that type of relationship that are in there. Um, so one of the really neat things about having a strategic partnership is having this um, person that's next to you that is also by your side through, you know, good press, bad press, amazing ups, some downs that just don't happen, some lawsuits, all these different things. Because sometimes when the visionary is there, they don't necessarily have everyone, anybody to go to, particularly in an office. Um, so they can go to like somebody like a chief of staff or your force multiplier or your strategic partnership to really kind of just walk through some of this process. And Hallie has, is my chief of staff and she's been with me for over nine years now. Um, I actually hired her from off a Craigslist ad, which was pretty funny. I don't think uh, we get anyone from Craigslist, anyone from Craigslist anymore. Craigslist anymore. <laughs> but it was back in the day, I will say that Craigslist was actually very effective. Operable. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in our market. Yes, it was. And it worked well because Robin Hall, right? <laughs> yes. And I think, you you know, we, we talked about this in one of the recent blogs about how um, we actually offered you the job via voicemail and you kind of accepted it and you were like- By your, voicemail, <laughs> your yes. voicemail and your post um, that you said about this, I said this job nine years ago and you're kind of nine year anniversary and you basically said, um, but I'm still not, uh, what'd you say? Because it was exactly you. Yeah. I think I said something along the lines of, I don't, it's not going to be real until I talk to a real person. Yes. But I've accepted the job. But I've accepted the job, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was pretty funny. Um, always pushing for that clarity, which is great. Yes. Which again, pushing for that clarity is the strategic partnership in there um, and what they do. So what is a what is a force multiplier? Um, we've gotten that feedback and people have asked. In fact, based on our book, people are changing their LinkedIn titles to force multipliers. Yeah. And so it, which is it, the real, I mean- I think it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's just the, the influence that that uh, the book is making. So what is a force multiplier? Yeah, I believe and we define in the book that the force multiplier is uh, that strategic partnership, but it really does come in the form of either an executive assistant or 
a chief of staff. Sometimes those titles can become interchangeable, but it's really going to, it's really one of those roles is what we talk about when we talk about um, that force multiplier and entrepreneur or leader relationship. Yeah. So what, what is a force multiplier? What are their number one responsibilities that they do? Because I think of people listening to this, they're most likely in some sort of fashion, they're either um, maybe force multiplying for somebody else. Maybe they're a visionary. Maybe they're a leader in an organization that has a force multiplier or an EA or a personal assistant or just they're trying to extract more from a relationship. Maybe they're trying to build this because there's not much literature out there that really shows um, a model of how to build this partic- this particular leadership um, between two individuals. Um, but really, I mean, their primary their primary function, and this is why we talk about them having kind of the same same job and doing two different pieces of the job, because their primary function is making sure that whatever the entrepreneur, the principal that they're working for, whatever their agenda is for themselves, their career, or for the organization, making sure that that is executed, making sure their agenda is carried out throughout the rest of the organization. And that comes in so many so many different ways that can be helping to implement a new project or helping to hire a new leadership team member. It can be doing things like helping write content or create a podcast. I mean, really, it, it, it's almost the, the what is almost yeah. irrelevant. It's how are they providing maximum value and maximizing the vision and communication on behalf of the principal. One of the neat things too is, is the reason why when we originally started doing this podcast, um, you know, you were, we hadn't really talked about you being a part of it. And so I, I remember I sat down there and said, Hey, I want you to be part of this. And at first you're like, well, I don't really know if I want it. I don't really want to do this. In fact, you didn't even want your name on the book. Right. And right. <laughs> I mean, it was just, and I, we all convinced you to do that because it's, you deserve it. Um, and the same thing here in this podcast is I, I, I personally will do better when somebody's asking me a particular question or if you keep you off course. So this is a, a, a again, a, an example of the relationship, how you bring people into everything that you're doing, particularly your strategic partner, um, to keep you on track or to um, just strengthen the relationship, all those different things that you're doing. Um, to Provide get, a different perspective, exactly, context. Exactly. Of all those things that we're doing. Um, so when you're, you know, for me, from my standpoint, when I'm looking for a, um, you know, a, a force multiplier or somebody that you can bring in like an EA or a chief of staff um, in there, uh, one of the things that I'm really looking for is um, somebody who is going to be loyal to the brand, right? I think we talk a lot about Hallie's um, kind of unwavering loyalty to not only me, but to the organization itself. Um, which is is remarkable, and your willingness—not necessarily willingness that you're trying to do this—your desire, I guess, is a better way of saying it, of not being the front person, right? I think sometimes you get people that want there's two there's a visionary and a chief of staff, but the chief of staff really wants to be the front person, and that creates a dynamic that may not be able to be solved because there really needs to be one front person, right? Because if there's two people in front, it makes it very um, it can get complicated within the organization. Um, and I also think that you just you want somebody who, who is a very big entrepreneur who wants to serve one person, maybe listen to one person, um, but that's it, right? And and they don't want to listen to everybody else. And that goes for more than just the force multiplier position. That goes with a lot of your leadership position. They want to be an entrepreneur in your organization. So you're looking for somebody on that side. One of the things I think always kind of ruffles a little feathers sometimes when I hear you say it, I love it, but I know that it brings up a... Um, you know, people kind of listen to it and go, hmm, that kind of, I can tell it hits people is, um, I know both of our beliefs about, um, the expectations of a visionary, uh, or a founder or whoever that you're force multiplying with, 
Um, and people are like, well, I shouldn't have to do this, right? Um, or I sh- and I know that's a conversation you have a lot in, in that world of people like, well, I only want to work this, um, or I, I don't think I should have to do this. And I, I love your response to this because I think it just it triggers people in a different way to either think differently or move on, right? Right. And I, well, and I think there's actually not that many people who are okay operating that way, but that's also okay. And it just, it narrows, it narrows your candidate pool. And then you need to just make sure you're finding, finding the right person. But I think what you're referring to is when, um, you know, when we're coaching or training a lot of executive assistants and sometimes chiefs of staff, but I find it sometimes more in the, the EA or, or people who want to move into an EA or chief of staff role. They're like, well, what are my hours going to be is, you know, when, when do I get my time off? What are my boundaries? I'm trying to think of some of the other questions that we get, but it's, it's really around, you know, is it, a, can the visionary or the leader actually have those expectations of me? Mm-hmm. Or is that okay for them to ask? Or even the founder, a lot of times it's actually the founders are asking, is yeah. it okay if I ask my yeah. EA to do these things? Yeah. And yet, okay, make sure, you know, taking away the ethical and moral issues yes. out of, out of the equation or legal issues out of the equation. My, really strong belief and I don't think this is a very super popular opinion with this whole you know world of work life balance which we don't actually say because I don't believe in it yes work life integration integration or setting boundaries and all that stuff if you want to be an EA or chief of staff to a, a high profile celebrity an influential business leader somebody who is a you know a high growth leader somebody who's really doing big things in the world you're not going to have boundaries yeah. and you're not going to have set work hours and yeah, that you might get phone calls at all hours of the day. And I think as long as the the founder or the leader is making those expectations really clear and you as the force multiplier are agreeing to them, you don't, there's nothing for you to say. And really, I think it's a privilege and an honor to be a part of, you know, a part of that and being able to walk alongside those individuals. When I was at that chief of staff summit, that was that. Well, that's why I felt like I was with my people because yeah. there was no talk in that room yeah. about schedule and yeah. hours and vacation time and making sure you didn't work on vacation. No, they knew what they were doing was really important work along with their leader. And it didn't matter when the work had to get done. It just had to get done. So what drives you to, to you know, the question we get, or I get sometimes too, is how do you, or to you is how do you, why do you stay in Adam's world? Or how do you stay in Adam's world and, and why? Right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I get that question sometimes um, because I, I am a leader mm-hmm. and I have a, a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies. So they think, well, why don't you go do your own thing? Um, why don't you go run your own company or go be a CEO somewhere or president or something? But first of all, I have no, I just have no desire to do that because I am an entrepreneur. I am risk averse. I like having somebody's vision who's bigger than mine has created a really big world that I get to play in mm-hmm. and learn in um, and grow within. Yeah. And and I we've talked about this before that if you hadn't continued yeah. to increase your leadership lid and take on new challenges and start new businesses and um, challenge yourself with the Ironman and, and all of these different things, I probably wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but because you're continuing to grow grow and change and evolve, and I get to also do that alongside you. I mean, that's why that I'm here. And that's how you keep a force multiplier in your world if you want to keep them long-term. Because I think with that EA and chief of staff, there are ones that are transitional and rotational, but... I think ultimately part of the benefit of having this really great partnership is the longevity and being able to have that relationship where you know what the other person is thinking. Mm -hmm. You can not just anticipate their needs, but really, you know, work on their behalf or know what they need, you know, before they need it and really just 
not have to always explain yourself to the other person. You're just doing the things that need to get done. Um, and sometimes that comes with time, as does respect, trust, and loyalty. So having somebody who's you know rotating through that every couple of years, I don't think is ideal. So you got to keep that person by continuing to grow. You know, a great example of that is we, you know, today we're doing two podcasts, right? And um, as we we're preparing for these, I had the idea of the, which one I wanted to do. And unfortunately, my calendar did not really afford me the ability to really write it out. And you wrote them out and it was the exact same thing that I was thinking of doing with the exact same points that I've kind of, we've been, that I've been talking about all week. So it's been, it, it was just kind of in line with that. And I think that's a great example. That only comes though with duration of time together, right? Mm-hmm. It's also, I think you mentioned it and I, I, don't, I don't think you can um, talk about this enough is just the trust in the relationship. I don't mean trust in like, you're not going to like, you know, tell secrets about things. I mean, just trust in terms of like when things need to get done, they just get done. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, cause you know, early on, um, when I knew I had um, a very talented individual was you, you, you were one of the first individuals that I actually hired that when I gave things to you and never showed back up on my desk. And one of the things that I, when I meet with entrepreneurs or they're asking to coach with them or they're asking for us to come in and do a you know a consultation session it's the individuals they have they don't look you have a finite amount of capacity in your mind to think about things and so if you're trying to grow a big organization or you're running a big organization you're trying to change something because it's all businesses are in constant flux right life is constantly changing right mm-hmm. so it wasn't business and so that you can't just sit still otherwise you'll just die right and same as an organization so when you want to keep growing um, and as you're building these things you have to have this this trust in that when you give something i don't mean give like a you know like a when you give a project to them or an, idea. an initiative or an idea that it just gets implemented and, and i remember this going back is that i could give it and then not have to worry about it and that was the that was a really freeing feeling because I can then use the capacity that I had to go focus on things where I needed to spend my time on. And I see a lot of people delegating things to people thinking they're doing the right thing, but then they're constantly worried about, did it get done? Did it get done right? Is there spelling errors in this thing? Did this look this different? Well, if you're doing that, then all you're doing is giving it and then having to duplicate everything that you're doing, which is just wasting a ton of cognitive space. And money, because why did you hire the person in the first place? Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, you hear entrepreneurs and they're like, well, you know, I don't know what an EA is supposed to do. Right. I don't know, especially ones that are hiring their first one. I'm like, well, sit down with them and create a job description. And they're like, well, I don't really like to do that. Well, no, I understand that. That's why you hired somebody that likes to do what you don't. They don't want to do your job. Right. They, you hire somebody so you get time in a return on what you're doing because they like to take something off their plate. Too many people are hiring people and then staying in the job. And that doesn't, doesn't bode well for anybody who, um, when they're jumping into a position that they still hold on to it. Now, for the first 90 days, there's some handholding to make sure they can actually take the job. But when somebody takes the job, that's their, that's their, it's their opportunity. They need to own that. And that's, that was, you were my first experience of somebody who's really, really owning a position. So it never ended up back on my plate, particularly for things that I hated doing, right? Mm-hmm. Operationally or pretty much anything, but like one thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, for it. So Hallie, we talk a little bit about trust right now um, and kind of explaining a little bit. That's the kind of cornerstone of the foundation, this trust of owning the projects you give to them, trust in terms of actually trusting the individual. Because if you break that trust, if I share something with you that's about an employee, it may not just, it, part of it is just, just 
talking it through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you break that trust, then you literally have gone almost backwards, right? To this whole thing, it's almost sometimes irreversible to be able to replace that. I think right? so. Yeah. Um, to be able to do it. So how do you how do you think we've built trust? If people are listening to this and say, "Hey, I really I really want to take the relationship that I have with my force multiplier to the next level," how do you build that level of trust? Yeah, I mean, it def- definitely does not happen overnight, but I do think there's ways that you can kind of fast track a little bit. Um, one is making sure that uh, you are you really are working on not just the business, but actually on your relationship. Yeah. Um, and that comes down to having regular and consistent communication. So for us, for, I mean, for nine years, we have had a weekly Monday morning meeting. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I, did the, I did the math at one point on that. <laughs> I can't remember what it was now, but I mean, that is a lot of... 30 minute it's to one hour and 50 meetings. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I, I yeah. did. I did know that. Yeah. I had it written down somewhere. <laughs> um, but right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of meetings where we talk yes about the business, but we're really purposeful also about talking about what my goals are, what my growth opportunities are. I try to make sure that I'm getting a pulse on, you know, where your head is at, what you're thinking, um, what's important to you this week or this month so that I can kind of shift things around that, um, so I think some of it is just about getting to know the person as a person yes. and you can do that through structure like the, yeah. those weekly meetings. We have our daily um, five daily accountability questions. So we have um, a daily check-in. That's what's worked for us over mm-hmm. the years. We do communicate a lot by email and yes. or in our meetings. Um, but um, a lot of people do daily phone calls, daily check-ins, whatever it is, as long as it is consistent communication. And again, especially with that force multiplier and, and entrepreneur relationship, you got to make sure it's not just about the business. It's really about the, that person, their their goals, their growth, their their needs as a as a person functioning in the in the greater organization. And I think that that is one way to to start building trust. Yeah, I mean, hence business meets spirituality, right? I mean, it's that yeah. whole thing. That spirituality is just another word for personal growth mm-hmm. for the work individual. Like I would have asked you probably even like six months ago if you were going to be a marathon runner and you would have been like, no way, that's just not me. And yesterday in one of your check-ins, it was funny. You were like, I don't know who this person is running all of these miles. And as you're talking to yourself, um, <laughs> yeah. just goes to, and now you sign up for half and you sign up for a full marathon. Um, so it's kind of just, it's, it's that whole, you focus on, um, and you know, people have heard this before, but it's not just about focusing on the business, it's about focusing on the person and then the person becomes and performs their highest level. I think when you talk about specifically about communication though, I think it's fascinating that, you know, you and I communicate via email. I bet if we were to calculate how many emails we responded in a week, it's just, it's, it's a lot. Um, it's interesting though, is that I, Amy is our EA, right? Obviously you're leading her because ultimately it's her responsibility, but she's in connection with me a lot for my schedule, her and I text a lot more. Mm. Uh, so I just kind of find that interesting. I was just thinking about that in terms of the communication styles for it, mm-hmm. mostly because it's very immediate. immediate. Yes. It needs to happen. And she knows that's the fastest way for me to be able to see that is a text or if like I'm in a meeting and like we're or on a podcast and she could text me and say, hey, your your appointment's running late or they're already here or it got canceled. So you don't have to worry about this. So there's just constant communicating that, the immediacy of it. Whereas when you were in that position, people don't necessarily know that. You, I mean, you were in EA for a long period of time, which were running my personal life, running the business life. I mean, there's just, it was a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And then as the business grew, um, ultimately you you got leveraged through an EA and you've moved more into that role where it's less reactionary or trying yes. to prepare as much to what it is um, so that you could work on the functions of the business themselves, right? There's still some things that show up every day and are like, hey, surprise, right? And we got to go deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just find that interesting about having, you know, how different people communicate. Um, it's just figuring out what your communication yes. channels are going to be and again, staying 
as as much as possible staying consistent with them so yes. that like I know if I uh, you know I'm going to text you it I mean and we end our phone call like yeah. We've had maybe like what ten phone calls in yes. nine years. Yes. So um, just know, just knowing what those are. Yeah. So um, in, I mean, knowing what they are, and also uh, just kind of sticking by them. You know, I was talking to another um, founder the other day, and he calls his EA, and his EA is kind of going goes through all his emails while they're on the phone because he has an hour drive back to his house every day, mm-hmm. and that's how he best communicates. He's like, you know, I always talk to her at the end of the day for about an hour, and we just go through all my emails, and she's responding to them as they go through. They're kind of cleaning it up, so it's a, it's a way of him being able to kind of just get rid of that and also check ins for it. So you just got to find out what it is um, that that works for your communication style as well too the um how do you you know one of the things that i get and you get when you're talking about this relationship is um how does how does adam give up control right and from and i'll just explain from my side because i'm sure there's somebody listening to this going it felt like when I gave up control of my calendar, it actually felt like somebody was stabbing me. Like it felt like I was like, oh my God, I have no more control anymore. And so what, because time is really, really important to me and it's important to everybody. Uh, so how it was. And so one of the things that went through my mind is like, if I give up my calendar, then I have no more control of different things. So we sat down and we basically designed pockets within my calendar, right? Of of times where anything could be put in there as long as it was part of the over-alignment and then other parts that were blocked off that you couldn't. And so I think that was just, that, that really helped provide clarity because I can work in bursts. So I can say from, you know, from 8.45 until 11.30, anything can go in there. But from 11.30 to 1.30, I know I have a two-hour block to just catch up on things and just breathe for a second, meditate again and eat properly and all these different things. So I think you just, as you're starting to give up some of that control, because you shouldn't be in there focused on those things. In fact, I've actually now, whenever I have scheduled something myself, I just text it to Amy and say, hey, can you go ahead and reschedule this? Because I just always screw it up, right? And you guys just always do it. We notice when you put something in the calendar and we have to fix it. (laughs) So how would you go in and and from a force multipliers perspective, how would you, how would that conversation go with getting somebody to let go of control? Because I know that's something you and I talk about of, of what we did. And then also people ask that question to you a lot. Yeah, my it's the first thing is it's a, it's a conversation. You the 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 force multiplier has to go have that conversation with the founder and and try to figure out why are they not giving up control. And it's not you always just about control of the calendar. It's control of projects. It's that somebody who keeps coming back and micromanaging. There's usually something else going on with the individual if they're being that controlling. Provided that you've been at the organization for a couple of months and you've started to build that trust, you've clearly you know started to prove yourself in some way with the projects when the first question I always ask is is why and really having the force multiplier um you know kind of go through like a self-discovery process why is that founder not giving up control sometimes it's because they their personal life is not going so well Mm -hmm. and they're trying to control something in the business yeah um it could be that they've messed up on that particular project several times in the past and so when that project pops up they get really controlling it could be because they have a thing about time um or they've maybe had a bad experience with a previous um executive assistant so really figuring out what that is and then you can start attacking the problem at the root of the problem if you understand why they're doing it in the first place and a lot of times again i think it comes down to asking that que- those questions and um and then really showing through your actions that you can can be trusted and that you can handle those projects i do say sometimes if you know um if they're a low kind of a low risk type of activity to just do them mm-hmm. and show that you can take care of them if they have going to have minor implications to the um to the business or there's no cost to them just do them and show show that you can handle those particular tasks 
Um, and then at the end of the day, you also got to look at yourself and say, why aren't they giving, why aren't they allowing me to be, to own my role and allowing me to do what I was hired to do? And um, you got to look at yourself. Is your leadership where it needs to be? Are you communicating what you're working on? Are you actually performing at a high, high level? Are you fulfilling their needs, um, your founder or your leader's needs? And then after you've kind of looked at all of that, the last piece is you, again, having that conversation saying, here's what I was hired to do. Is this, is this what you need from me? Or do you not need those things from me? And if you don't, that's okay. But then we may not actually be the right fit for each other. We might not actually need to be in a relationship together. And I'm going to go work with a founder or a leader mm-hmm. who does actually need these yeah. things from me. Yeah. So it's all back. It, got, it all goes back to a conversation. Yeah. And I think that, that, if you are willing to have that radical conversation with them, you get to that answer quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you, I think as the force multiplier needs to, needs to understand that the, the founder may not be thinking about it that that way. So when you're th- right. when the when the force multiplier is thinking that, they just need to share that. It doesn't mean that they're like, oh, why don't why have they asked me to do this? They just might not know, right? Like a lot. Or of- they're certain. I mean, leaders are not, in my opinion, are not sitting around, yes. you know, making sure that the executive assistant has all of the work that they need to feel fulfilled they are way too busy yeah. for that and then and again in all of our coaching and training i don't it's not even about the founder they are who they are they are visionaries they're going to be running at a million miles an hour it is your responsibility as the force multiplier to figure the rest of the shit out <laughs> yeah absolutely what do you think the like the number one trait is that you look for when in, in the partnership in itself like just like not necessarily an individual, but like in the partnership. Because if somebody's listening to this and they're going, how do I know if I have the right person? Like in either angle, like what is the what is the characteristics that you're looking for in that relationship? Yeah. So as a force multiplier, I I think you've got to be aligned to some degree on your values. Yeah. Right. You've got to be aligned on, you know, feeling empowered to each fulfill your role. Mm-hmm. You have to be aligned on what the vision is for the company. Um, you have to believe like the force multiplier has got to be in alignment with what the the um, leader is doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the core of where you need to start. Are your objectives aligned? And I think that over the years, ours have been yes. um, because I want growth mm-hmm. and leadership and mm-hmm. you want growth and leadership and, you know, creating cool things and businesses. Yeah. But I mean, if you went off and did something that was completely maybe off, you know, out of left field or stopped growing, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in alignment anymore. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, this goes to a broader conversation to anybody that's listened this far is making sure that you're bringing people into your organization who share your values. One thing that's been really clear to me this year is that the people that you want to bring in um, just, you know, we happen to be mostly in real estate, right? So it's just, it's there. Real estate is that conduit for all of us to come together and share our values and happen to do it through real estate. It could have been insurance. It could have been, you know, stockbroker. I mean, I did go to school for, as a, you know, financial underwriter, right? To be a financial analyst on Wall Street. So it was just, it just happened to come through through real estate, which we love, which I love real estate and I love everything about it. Um, but we happen to be this coaching, training, personal growth, businesses conduit for this growth through um, real estate. But I think it's really important that you're bringing people into your organization who are bought into your values, to your culture. Um, to And culture isn't ping pong tables and, and having dogs at work. Those are perks. Those are cool mm-hmm. perks. Culture is like, you know, is is we have a, we're a results oriented organization, right? So that's part of culture is like, if you can, if you need to go, you know, your son or daughter has a cool event at two o'clock in the afternoon, you don't need to get permission for it, right? Just go, right? We want people to be 
we want to treat people like adults, mm-hmm. which means that on both ends, they're responsible for getting their things done, which, you know, we had this conversation between the three of us even yesterday about some days are longer than others. Some days, you know, even a week might be like, hey, man, this has been a low key week. And then all of a sudden the next week, and you're like, oh, this is great. This is nice. And then, but then part of you gets bored, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then some starts to like a couple of days of that. And then on the other end, if you're going like a week straight or two weeks straight, and you're like, this is too long this gets too much. So then it's, it's that constant counterbalancing, right? Of it's not a balanced life. It's integration of counterbalancing. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's just important for everyone to kind of understand that when you're bringing somebody in your organization that they're bought into everybody in the organization, they're not just seeing this as like a job or seeing this as a stepping stone. They're seeing this as an opportunity to come into somebody's world um, that is larger than themselves and coming together and doing something really cool. Yeah. And really, I mean, really just to be yourself in the workplace. I mean, I feel like that is what we've done really well here in building our culture because we're really purposeful on who we bring into the organization that people are doing what they would kind of just naturally do anyway. They just happen to be doing it with us um, and creating a career out of it, but it's really what they would be doing no matter where they were. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I I love it. So I walk in here every day, there's obviously a couple hundred people in here and I always love it because I always think about our dress code, right? Like, you know, of how that's morphed over the years to really, I think the dress code is like two words, which is dress appropriately, Mm. right? It doesn't need to be defined in some handbook. It's dress appropriately, which essentially means like I walk in here, I see some people in suits. I walk in here and I see some people in hoodies, right? And t-shirts, or I see some people in jeans and, and blazers, right? And I think that's just really important. It's just, that's that yearning for authenticity. You dress appropriately for what, if you don't have any meetings or anything that needs to happen, then dress appropriately. I know it's, it's a small thing, but that's part of the culture is that like, we shouldn't have to tell you in a seven page document of how to dress. It's dress appropriate. And it's about treating people like adults so they can get the results. They have the freedom. And what you'll find is that people will ultimately, this is more culture conversation, but like yeah. people will, will ultimately fulfill to a higher degree because you're giving them that freedom, right? You're giving that freedom to get the things done that they want because they're also bought into everything. Not bought in isn't a bad thing. You're, look, people are, you know, people always say like, you're drinking Kool-Aid over there or something like that. It's like, well, everybody's drinking some Kool-Aid. Either you yes. don't know it or you do know it. So it's like, you just got to be real with knowing, yes, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid and it's good. And it's because, good. Yes, yeah. Because that's what <laughs> I want to go. And I think people are afraid of that. And it's like, no, you, like, look, people drink the Kool-Aid of their phone. Either you like an Android or you like an Apple, right? Like, don't think that's the same analogy, right? Or it's like, you like a certain car or you don't like cars. That's the same thing too, right? So I think it's just, it's it's creating this relationship is making sure people are bought into all of it. And- well, and just being so, again, I think this is what we do pretty well with the help of, you know, Caitlin is making sure that we are just very clear on who we are as an organization and yeah. we are not afraid to yeah. share that imperfections and and all and because that's how we're actually getting those people who are the right fit and even more specifically with that um the strategic partnership between the founder and the force multiplier the that founder better be really clear on who they are otherwise you're going to get you're going to get the the wrong person um to join to join you and in terms of our company Overall, I mean, things that we talk about all the time is are that we do work really hard mm-hmm. and we do have that freedom and flexibility. But when we're here, like people work yeah, hard and they really sometimes hard. long hours. Yes. And um, that change is kind of part of our DNA. Change and growth is like part of who we are and what mm-hmm. we do. And we're a group of high achievers and we're really doing cool things that are making a difference in our clients and to our employees and to our community and to our families. So... But we don't sugarcoat the fact that it is yeah. sometimes hard work and that it's it's challenging and 
sometimes it is a grind. Yes. Yeah. But the people who are here and who've been here for a really long time, that's what they love. You know, it, and it's, it reminds me of, and we're necessarily not Wall Street, but when I was hell-bent on being down on Wall Street when I was in college, you didn't go to Wall Street thinking you're going to work 35 to 40 hours a week, right? They didn't even have to tell you, right? Like when you're never down there, they're like, you understand what this entails, right? And you're like, yeah. And they're like basically like 100-hour work weeks. Like that's literally what they said. And it's like 90 to 100 hour work weeks, maybe 80 on a good week, right? But people go into Wall Street knowing that because they want to be part. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You get to decide whatever it is. I'm just saying that it's very clear on what that looks like, Mm -hmm. right? Also, Amazon is very clear on what they are. They've gotten some good press, some bad press, but look what they've done to the world. You know, I was listening to this book today and when Amazon first started, their their kind of culture was all about being as frugal as possible so they could charge the lowest prices to consumers as possible. And their first desks, this is interesting, were Home Depot doors mm-hmm. that were cut in half with legs on them. Mm-hmm. And and when people asked that when, when New York Times or Bloomberg, any of these people asked that question, it was like, well, why do you do it? It's like, oh, so we can be as frugal as possible so we can charge consumers the least amount of money for their consumer products. And it's and then that has just been evident. Now, of course, there's more efficient ways to do that now for desks, but um, that's it's just a it's a great way of showing up of, of demonstrating your culture. Other people's they have no um, they're all they, hey we want to be a cubicle office because we want everyone to be open right that's your thing cool right and it's, I need to be alone right so sometimes mm-hmm. I just need to be alone not sometimes a lot of times um, it's funny because we were talking about Warren Buffett and like and I think that. Um, Actually, we're talking Warren Buffett on our last podcast, so go check that one out. But um, when uh, and and Warren Buffett talks about how he walks into his office and he's like, "I need to shut my door for at least nine hours, and not talk to anybody." And mm-hmm. it's just, but he's very clear on that. That's the whole yeah. point of the messaging about that, which is fascinating. So, speaking of being clear in helping and transforming, uh, you know, we obviously have the book, The Founder Force Multiplier, but we have an event coming up, which we're we're very excited about. Our first event uh, around the Founder and Force Multiplier. Mm-hmm. How, t- talk to us through this a little bit. <laughs> I like how you just kind of threw that one over, yeah, over no, to me. Um, yeah, I took it to a one. Yeah, so <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so yeah, it's on February 15th in Dallas called C-Suite Confessions. It's going to be a little bit more, a little bit of what we're talking about here, yeah. but really like behind the scenes, um, kind of like what happens after the book. Yeah. We're going to talk more in depth about um, the partnership, who you need to look for, how do you strengthen that relationship, how do you keep the, the, your force multiplier once you found them. It's going to be very interactive. We're going to make sure yeah. that we um, get the audience involved. So bring your questions. Um, and also it's just a, it's a, a time to kind of get a little bit of a flavor about our organization yeah. and really hear more about all the conversations that we have around not just the founder and the force multiplier, but around culture, around our business, about personal growth, around business meets spirituality. So we're going to dive into a lot, a lot of those those topics throughout um, the session in Dallas. One of the things that was instrumental in building a business um, that we've all built here is um, when I was around mentors in my life, um, particularly one, he was so clear about the behind the scenes. Like somebody, you can read a book and somebody can say, you know, you go have this conversation with tough. Well, then you go, what happens after they say this? What happens when they say this? And so one of the things that we're going to do in this, um, in this class is um, really break down the scenarios. Okay, this happens. Then what happens, right? Because there's always, mm-hmm. you always have this kind of like surface line. Um, I'm always reminded like Ben Horowitz wrote the book, like the hard things about hard things, which I love. Um, and he talks about like, 
it's just hard, right? And here's yes. the behind the scenes of why it's really hard. Like, yes, it's hard to build a business, but here's why. Like, how do you figure out how to make payroll, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you get like, your, do you have a lawsuit facing you? And then what do you do? And as for me, having that kind of behind the scenes, like, this is what I told my leadership person, not like, hey, go do this. This is exactly what I told them. And then they left, right? And then, then this is what I did. And, you know, and I remember one of the things that um, uh, one of my mentors said to me was, uh, he said, you know, you guys think that I'm a, I'm a genius, but the reality is, is I just failed like nine times until I got the person right. And then you called me a genius. And so he goes, I'm actually not even that good at everything I'm doing. I just don't stop at it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, but I, you, you hear that and you, cause you think they just made one hire and they just made it. And then when you go and make three hires and they don't work out, you're going, I'm failing. Well, when you know the behind the scenes clarity around this, which is why everything that we talk about is trying to, is really engage in being as clear and transparent as possible so people can hear the truth about the relationships between you and I or the relationships in business or what culture is and how these things that you do it is really sharing that intimate conversation that actually happens, assuming it's appropriate, right? That you can, then people can go, oh, you know what? Maybe I was closer than I, than I thought I was. Or maybe that is true. I, I, I do feel like, you know, business is like you're in this fog at times and like you feel like you're the only one in the fog and everyone else has this shit figured out. No, business is so messy behind the scenes. It just is really messy. There's many moments where I feel like I'm in the fog and I'm like, man, I don't even know which way to go right now, right? Like just which way, I'm just going to take a step, right? Mm-hmm. And then figure out, maybe walk into a, a river and end up having to swim or, right? Or you fall in the hole. And but you, you always know you can fig- you're going to be able to figure it exactly. out. Exactly. But yeah. people get caught in this of like, oh my God, I'm in this fog and nobody else is. That's just wrong, right? It's like people don't think that other people have thoughts in their heads. Well, let me tell you, everyone has the same thoughts that you're thinking, right? Um, it's kind of off topic, but it's kind of pulls in there. <laughs> but it's true, right? It's just because people are like, when you share with them, like, you know, over the last day, somebody probably had a thought in their head that was just like, oh my God, where'd that come from? So you're not your thoughts. You're not alone in business building. You're not alone in trying to figure all these things out. Just a lot of people don't have the capacity or the vulnerability to share them. And that's one of the things that we want to bring to everything that we do is to share the the truth um, as we see it, right? And mm-hmm. bring that clarity to it so people can go, hey, I'm closer than I think. I just got to keep going. It does take years. It does. It's messy. It's it's stressful. That's why when you approach all of this, whether it's a, it's a relationship that you're building with your force multiplier or you're building a business, you always approach this as this conduit to grow. And if you can always grow from all of the mistakes, then it's not a mistake. It's only a mistake if you stop it or a failure, right? The mistakes are going to show up. You're going to have 90 of them. And so if you can center yourself and realize like, hey, you know what? This is really cool. This problem is a puzzle and I'm going to solve the puzzle and it's going to be pretty amazing and I'm going to get the reward from this. Yes, different experiences are going to feel different ways. Making money is going to feel some way. Losing money is going to feel some way. Trying to figure out how to pay payroll is going to feel something. Then not. Scoring a big client feels differently than losing one. But those are all cool experiences that help you help other people and help you grow as an individual to learn to let go of the part of you that's trying to force the moment that's in front of you the way you want it to be. And when you can realize that in business, that you can't force the moment that's happening in front of you to be a certain way, and you let go to just experience the moment, man, that's when you can really solve problems. So as you're, as you're talking about problems here, I'm thinking, I love problems. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we don't have them in the business, I, I don't want to say I get bored because I, I don't really like saying that That's a good I get word, bored, though, yeah. but I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm contributing or making much of an impact when things are going well. It's actually not that fun yeah. for me, but I'm also thinking, what does that say about me? And 
um, my my need to solve a problem? Is it because I'm coming from significance? Am I needing to feel a certain way? You know, you don't want those negative, you don't want problems because you don't want your feelings to feel a certain way. But at the same time, do you not want to not have problems or you want to have problems to feel a certain way? Well, I think what it really comes down to is it comes down to you want some sort of resistance so you can force yourself to grow. And I think that's just the way of saying it. It's like if you went out yes. there every day and you wanted to score and like you went and played a, a football team every Sunday and you won 100 to zero, that would be extremely boring. The best games are the ones that have the most resistance. And so the gains that you have in spirituality, the gains that you have in business, the gains you have in personal growth come from resistance. But that resistance forces you to let go of part of it. So then you can go out there and grow through the experience. So really what you're asking for is the problem gets you to actually have a different experience that forces you to grow through it. Yes, a challenge, a puzzle, exactly right. what, whatever it is, um, because it's, I mean, it's fun and it's, it's exciting. And when we're talking about our event, I'm like, yes, we're going to get to talk about all of the failures and the challenges because that's, I mean, for me, that's what makes being a part of business so exciting. Well, that's why you love growth. Because yes. growth in itself creates a problem. Growth in itself creates tension. Growth in itself creates people to be a little uncomfortable because you're like, oh my God, I got to push. I actually said this to um, somebody the other day. Um, I said, I forget how, exactly how I worded it, but I said, Hallie is an individual who, when she, when she knows what she's doing and it's in the beginning, she kind of can feel overwhelmed. But when she starts to get complete it and it's, there's nothing on the horizon for her to do, I can feel her restlessness. So now what I do is that when she gets about halfway through something, I'm trying to put something else on her, which forces her to close the gap faster. So she's just there oh trying God. to figure out the next piece of it before <laughs> it gets to a point I have to hear from her that I'm <laughs> about bored. that she's bored of the whole thing. So um, it's That just, is, I mean, I just learned something new. Yeah. I had no idea that you did that. And that is exactly me. Yeah, and if somebody wasn't doing that for me, constantly, yeah, and then, we would not be working exactly. together. <laughs> well, that's why, and, and I realize. So thank you. I, I just I just try to figure out where the where do I insert that because if I do it too yeah. early on, you feel overwhelmed. Yes. If I do it too late, you yep. feel too bored. So I got to you got to always find that magic point, and I can screw that up sometimes, but then I'll I'll know because I'll hear from you. Yep. Well, now that like I know that you're hours. now that I know that yeah. you're doing that, <laughs> I will be, I'll pay attention to it. Yeah, it is. So um, we hope to see you guys there in Dallas. Um, certainly love to continue this conversation with it. Um, and hopefully you guys picked up a couple things about this conversation. We try to make it as real as possible. So we appreciate you being here today. Yeah. And if you're looking for a few more resources, you can go to founderandforcemultiplier.com. We've got our blog. We've got some free downloads. You can check out our event there as well. Hey, it's Hallie here again. I wanted to share a few more details with you about our upcoming event in Dallas. It's called Behind the Business, How to Bootstrap Your Way to a Billion Dollar Business. At the event, Adam and I are going to be sharing with you how we work together to tackle tough conversations, long-term strategies, short-term tactics, and difficult decisions in the C-suite. So if you're a business owner or someone like me supporting the growth of an organization with big vision and dreams, and you like what we've been talking about here on Business Meets Spirituality, then this event is definitely for you. You'll walk away with a new perspective on the inner workings of a successful business and strategies to make sure the conversations happening in your business are the most productive and impactful ones. We'd love to see you in Dallas, so you can get your ticket by going to adamhergenrother.com. We'll also drop a link in the show notes for you, and we hope to see you there.